0: The beginning, the beginning, the beginning, the beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. My name is Sean Ram, alongside Dr. Joshua Black. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> it's a beautiful morning. And uh, yeah, here I get to uh, interview another special guest. Her name is Karen Millsap, and she is a TEDx speaker, founder of the Growflow Community, and the CEO, which stands for Chief Empathy Officer of Agency. At only 29 years old, her life was suddenly flipped upside down. She became a widow when her husband Richard was tragically murdered. On the quest to build her rebuild her life, she discovered simple habits and lifestyle changes that helped her find her way back to a whole heart. Uh, self-care essentially saved her life. This realization sparked deep desire to share everything she had learned and spread light to anyone who needs help navigating tough situations. And you can find more about Karen at her website www.karenmilsap.com. and her name is spelled k-a-r-e-n and last name m-i-l-l-s-a-p karen welcome to the podcast
1: thank you so much for having me and thanks for acknowledging that i have two l's in my last name because a lot of times people look for just one l <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i've seen it spelt the the other way but uh yeah i just want to make sure people get that website wrong and they might go to a different Millsap website <laughs> yep, thank you <laughs> Have you checked? Is there a Karen Millsap one L.com?
1: I bought that domain for a while, like when I was first starting off. But uh, so I don't, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if it's available now for other users, but I did own it for the first two years that I was in the business.
0: <laughs> That's a smart move. Yep. And so,
2: yeah, you seem like to such a, a very hard life, especially early on. It's said 25 years your husband died and then you you found something in you to to change and to grow and i'd like to know more about your husband and your life with him before he died so what was that like i know you had a child together so if you want to go through some of that experience those experiences with him
1: Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. Um, You know, I didn't really, honestly, though, I didn't really have a hard life. Like, I was raised as an Air Force kid. It was like, I had both my parents. I was very fortunate to have that. Like, my sisters, my brother, you know, everything was good. And um, even meeting Richard, we had so much fun together. I mean, he is just electric, like such a ball of energy, so much fun. People are drawn to him when he walks in the room. Um, My nickname for him was Suit, because I feel like Wherever you are, if you see somebody with a suit walk into a room, your eyes just gravitate to them because you're, you're either thinking, why does this person have a suit on? Or you're like, oh, this person has a suit on. And so I, told, I used to call him suit because that's just how he would always step in and grab everyone's presence when he walked into the room. It's like people were drawn to him. So, I mean, we had a fun relationship. Um, we definitely had our problems as well. But the thing about us was we were so – we were so committed to enduring the ups and the downs together. Right. And I mean, we had some really crazy times that we just would test your relationship and anybody who's been in a relationship for a while, you know that sometimes you get tired of this person who you see every single day <laughs> or they have their baggage that they're carrying, you know, from, from their childhood or just from their own, you know, filters of life. And so we navigated those um, together and, and when we got to the point of um I was 29, he just turned 33, we were stepping into this, like, new level of our marriage, our, our partnership together, because he decided that he wanted to open up a CrossFit gym. and um, And so I had a little one, Caleb. He was two at the time. We also had my stepdaughter who was with us, and so, you know, we were just chugging along. We were trying to have more kids as well. I mean, we felt like we were living the dream, and that was my first case of being an entrepreneur, but still, I was on the outside. You know, he was really – he was the one who was living it. I would help him when I could, but my mind, my brain set was in – or my mindset and my brain was stuck in corporate America. So, as we journeyed, that brought other challenges, but it was good. Like, it was just all – It was all about building and climbing and doing it together even if we had to like eat ramen and and live off of boxes that was something we used to say like whatever it was we were just going to do it together
2: wow that's crazy so how did you guys meet
1: we met at a mutual friend's uh birthday party and it was actually a couple of days it was about a week before richard's birthday which i didn't know at the time but when i saw him the funny thing is i saw him across the room early on um in the evening and then we ended up next to each other at some point and we started talking but I I don't know if this was such, this is such a rookie move I don't have any game we'll say that I wasn't trying to have game but I told him what my thought was earlier when I saw him was this guy looks like my dad
2: <laughs> like, <so>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't use that line
1: <laughs> oh, I know I- Like I didn't, I don't remember actually if I said exactly. I might have said my cousin because my dad's side of the the family has strong genes. But either way, I definitely led with something corny like, "You look like my family." (laughs) So, and then after that, it was over. We spent every day together from the day that we met.
2: (laughs) That's funny. Was he wearing a suit at that time?
1: No, he (laughs) wasn't.
2: So something he grew into. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. That's wild. And then, what was it like for you to have this child together?
1: It was, um, it was a huge blessing, honestly, because we we talked about it. You know, we had my stepdaughter, and, and we wanted to have more kids together. And I remember when I found out that it was a boy. We were sitting there, and the ultrasound tech was, you know, checking and said, "Do you want to know the sex?" And I knew that he had been, you know, wanting a boy since we already had a girl, and so. I remember when she said, it's a boy, he literally like screamed with both of his hands in the air, his feet came up off the ground, like he was so excited that he was having a little boy. And so, I mean, just diving into that and diving into like being a full on parent from baby stage, not from like when I came into my stepdaughter's life at two years old. It was an adjustment, but it was amazing because Richard was all about that. He loved his kids. I mean, the number one thing that people would say about him is that you can always See his love for his children. My son was never in daycare until after his dad died because Richard took him everywhere, even when he was only you know a few weeks old. And he had to go to the gym. Richard would take Caleb with him. People would see Richard; they would always see Caleb. Like he was just that kind of dad.
2: Wow, that's amazing. Because there's some fathers that you know they they really push the responsibilities on the mother. So it's nice how he had such a, a loving spirit and loving heart that he was willing to to be the parent that I think Caleb wanted and you needed him to be for, for life Mm -hmm. to be as it was, which is, you know, a fun life. And you need that sort of balance. You need people to take on some of these, some of these roles and responsibilities. So that's amazing. It was good quality of of him. And so what exactly happened for, for him to die? Like what, what was that about?
1: So I um, was a recruiter at the time, as I mentioned. I was still in the corporate America mindset, um, which I'll never go back to, but <laughs> I was working for a, a national home building company, and I was work at home because usually my work was, you know, done and I'm home by 5 o'clock, um, where this time, because it was VPs, I had to do interviews that evening after they had finished with their day. So I was at home. Um, Caleb was with me. Uh, My stepdaughter was with her mom that evening and I got a phone call while I was on an interview. The phone call came through on my cell phone. I was using the house phone. So it was buzzing kind of back to back to back. And finally, when I got a chance to look at it, I saw that I had several missed calls from a woman who was one of our gym members. So I thought to myself, well, Maybe Richard, you know, fell off the rig and, and broke his arm. And I was like, well, no, he's a macho guy. He would have called me if he broke his arm. And so I was like, well, maybe he hit his head. And so you know how those thoughts can just run through your your mind so fast in a split second. And so at the, net, the when I was thinking that, she called again. And it was at the perfect time for me to put the candidate on mute because he was answering a question. And so I put him on mute, and I answered just to say, hey, you know, I'm on the interview. Is everything okay? And all I heard was screaming. And so as I heard all the screaming, I could only make out one word, and that was "shot." But it still didn't register, it didn't register in my brain, but my body immediately responded. Like my body started convulsing. It was just, my chest was like shaking. It was just crazy. I, I, it's, it's indescribable. But um, so I, I got back on the phone and tried to calm my voice enough to say, you know, thank you so much for your time. We'll be in, con- in contact with Next Steps. And I, I picked up my son, I took him over to my neighbor's house and I just said, hey, You know, can you watch him for a little bit? Something happened at the gym? I'm not sure, but I'll be in contact. And started flying down the highway, you know, 100 and something miles per hour. Just, again, not really sure what I was coming into. So then I remember thinking to myself, the light before the gym, why am I not on my way to the hospital? Because remember, at this point, I just gotten a call that he had been shot, but I really, like, I don't. I don't even remember once I got there because when I pulled up, there were first responders everywhere. There was, you know, news trucks and reporters. And, I mean, just it was a madhouse. I don't even remember when I got there when somebody told me that he died or who told me or how they told me. Like, I don't remember all that. All I remember is sitting behind a bush and just, like, rocking back and forth thinking and saying out loud, this isn't real like this is not real this is not my life this is not happening this this absolutely is not real and it is like one of those lifetime movies because it's just it's a it's a whirlwind at that point so uh what i found out was that he was teaching his crossfit class and somebody came in and shot him um there was a getaway driver so apparently this was, you know clearly this was premeditated and and planned Um, but five years later, five and a half years later, they still don't have the, the shooter. Um, I don't know why this happened, you know, but I will say that very early on, I would go to the police station every month and just say, what do you have? What do you know? You know, I would just like drill them. And it got to the point where I was losing myself in trying to figure out what happened and why this happened. And I finally just had to say, okay, you know what, God, I cannot do this because it's, it is keeping me and preventing me from being a fully present and a good mom to Caleb. And that's when I decided that I wasn't going to allow my, my healing to be wrapped up in the identity of this person, because no matter what we found out, nothing would bring Richard back. And so, yeah, that's what, that's the moment that changed my life forever.
0: Wow. That's, um, That's a gut-wrenching story, and and you know I'm really sorry for your loss. And it's, we've had a couple guests on who've had uh, loved ones murdered, and just uh, you know I can't even imagine just the ambiguity and just confusion, and also like complication around your grief uh, because he was murdered. You know, especially not knowing, you know, not being not having it resolve uh, the way you know you want it to, and not even understanding why but you know that's a really uh amazing thing that you said really mature thing that you say you you know putting the emphasis on on healing and and not letting uh those factors those variables you know do you remember uh you know what it was like kind of having those feelings around a loss that's just you know complicated like that
1: oh yeah i still have them You know, I I think that we never stop grieving. We just learn how to manage it in our life. And so those complex feelings that are tied to such a tragedy, like they never leave you, you know, and they come up in different times. Like, for example, um, I remember my son's fifth birthday. Somebody got him a Nerf gun. And I was like, no. No. Like, I just was devastated. I cried in my closet, you know, because I'm, again, we don't think anything of it, but to me, I'm only imagining my son imitating the person who killed my husband. Now, that goes really, really deep, right? It sounds kind of crazy, but that's what happens. Like, our grief is just triggered from so many little things that people don't see. In the early days, I was just so, you know, I explained where we were coming from. We, we were on this build. We were on this uphill climb. We were at the beginning of our life together, and for that to all of a sudden drop off, I thought that I was um, grieving and I was in such a state because of the way he died. But you know what I found out? I went to a couple of grief groups and I found out that it doesn't matter how our spouses die, we can't imagine life without them. And that is what we're grieving. Like, I know that I have friends who have lost their spouse and and they've had to watch their health deteriorate, you know, through cancer or other life-altering illnesses. And so that in itself is hard, you know somebody taking my husband is hard. I have another friend who her husband just died in a drunk driving accident and the drunk driver walked away without a scratch. That's hard, right? Like there are all of these injustices in death that make it really complex and, and hard, but those things don't leave us as we continue to progress. So I certainly remember feeling them. I think now it's just now I, I, even though I still feel them, I manage them in a different way.
2: yeah I think it's a good point, right everyone has their their different challenges when it comes to their own own grief, and you know one grief's always a little different than the other. I think it's you know with all that sort of that that happened with you and sort of that unresolved feelings of of the death uh how long sort of was it till you were able to i guess pick yourself up and and start like living a little bit better i guess like I guess the best way to put it is, is when did joy start coming back into your life? Because I talk to you now and you have a lot of joy and a lot, you have a lot of like hope and optimism for the world. So like, wh- how did that all change? Cause I can't imagine it was a very sudden thing.
1: Yeah, no. Well, thank you for saying that you feel my joy. That is the energy I hope to give off. <laughs> um, people ask me that too. They ask me, you know, have you always had this mindset or, you know, is this a natural thing for you? Um, I feel like the first, well, hands down, the first year I was in a fog. People would tell me, oh, you're so strong. And I'm like, you have no idea that I was ready to, like, run my car through a house or on the way here. You know, like, I'm just, I was on autopilot, basically. And so people perceived that as strength. Um, But I was just numb. And like I said, in a fog. But during that first year, you have to understand, I experienced a lot of different losses. I lost my husband, and that was the catalyst. Um, That started a a chain reaction of other losses, like losing my house, losing my car. I ended up losing my job. So the first year, I just lost so many things, and I felt beat up, completely beat up. Um, I was looking back in my journal uh, not long ago. What was funny was at the end of the first year, my prayer at that time was so full of pain, but at the end, it it said something like, um, but if you have a glimmer of hope, then I do believe that you can get through anything, even if I feel like I can't get through today, through today right now. And I do think if you have just a little slice of hope that you can get through it. I think for me, it didn't start to become authentic hope. I think I was just like forcing it for a little bit. So I didn't go crazy or hurt myself. But I think it was not authentic hope until I got to probably year two or three. <laughs> um, because then by then I had time to really build this like foundation of healthy habits that for me, I was doing it for my son, but it did create, um, you know, it stimulated more confidence, which is something that I lost. I didn't, you don't realize that you'll lose that, you know, when you lose your spouse, but i had lost my confidence. I lost my self worth. And these habits were rebuilding those things because I had to, right. You know, I was the one who had to do everything for my kid. And being able to do that helped to build my confidence. Um, So I think it was a journey, but it really, it probably started early on, but I don't think that it really showed itself until maybe year two or three.
0: Wow, that's a, that's a, that's an incredible journey, really, you know, challenge that you faced, you know, not just the loss of your husband, but a loss of your job and a house when you're essentially trying to obviously take care of your son, I can't even imagine, you know, and the the word that comes to mind is resiliency. Like it seems like you're a very resilient person. Like that's just like the, one of those human, like one of the best human qualities we can have is because, you know, life has its ups and downs. And if you can only be resilient and strong and courageous in what you're doing and you might not feel that way, but something, something was propelling you forward maybe it was aspects of autopilot if it, i'm just thinking like it's like that maslow's hierarchy of needs like you like you you were near the top but then you got brought back down to the basic of like just securing and stability for your uh-huh. son and yourself and and uh just that resiliency keeping you moving forward do you, do you look back now and are are you proud of what you were able to kind of Go through? I mean, obviously, during the moment, it's tough. But now looking back, do you look back and say, you know, that was me, I did that?
1: I finally had that opportunity. But it wasn't because I was looking back. Um, my show, or my show, <laughs> my story was featured on Robin Roberts Thriver Thursday digital series. And then it um, was shown on Good Morning America at the end of January. And it was when it was aired on Good Morning America, when I saw the interviews that they did with friends, you know, they they just showed my journey in such a way that it, it gave me that opportunity to look back and say, wow, I, I have overcome this. You know, I was able to fight back and not find myself in that victim mentality, and But the last five years have just been me, you know, trying to make it. (laughs) So I've just kind of had my nose down, you know, trying to get through the days and and, and trying to get through those hard moments with my son and, and trying to build my business to help other people. So I've had just my focus on what I need to do. I haven't really, one, taken a breath to say, oh, okay, yeah, I've gotten to this place, and I also haven't reflected. And I, my friends tell me that a lot. They're like, you're not seeing what you're doing, but I, I'm just so dedicated to the present, you know? And so it was when I saw that, when they when they aired that clip, it was so emotional. I mean, all day I was just so emotional, and I felt like it was just such a big God hug because it was, it was what I needed at that time to just say yes okay, I can fully step into my whole self and see that I've made progress. Because along the way, you just feel like one foot in front of the other, you know, one breath at a time. So I think now, now I do have that perspective, but it was only because it came through that opportunity.
2: Yeah, it's very interesting when you get these opportunities to actually slow down and and look, and look at what what's happened in your life. I had that with the PhD, having that come to a close and it took me a while for me to actually look back and it is amazing how you know we do so much in our day but we forget to see how much we do <laughs> you know, like and there's yeah. something of there's a simplicity and a love about looking back and say oh my god like I I made it through all that like that's amazing you Say like it's a god hug it's it's a miracle in itself that people can get through some of the things they get through you know like yeah. And that's what something you've done. And not only because there's a lot of stuff you can't say, I'm guessing on air, (laughs) or you you just can't sort of vocalize on how tough it actually was, but you went through those moments. And, you know, like the death is one thing, but you said those secondary losses and then trying to sort of gauge where you want to go. But here you are, you have your own business now and you're helping others find their way through life. And I think there's beauty. There's a lot of beauty in that because without people like you you know people are just you know on their own and it's the hardest thing to grow on your own because uh, we're not really yeah. trained you know like it's, it's something you know people have to find themselves almost and then they can help others um on the way
1: yeah that was exactly what happened as i just felt so alone i was 29 and nobody around me is a widow you know, I went to those grief groups that I mentioned, but everybody was 50 plus. I mean, I was always the youngest one there, and I just felt so out of place. And so that's why I started my business, because I thought to myself, nobody should have to go through this alone. Like, I wish that I knew, you know, when I started building those, um, those habits, it wasn't because I knew what to do. It was because I was desperate to be a good mom for my kid. And so I started thinking about things like what was I eating to make sure I had the right energy? How was I training my mind to get out of negative thought cycles? You know, how was I um, embracing emotions so that I wasn't controlled by them? So that way I could teach my son how to embrace emotions, you know, because these are very natural Anger, sadness, grief, those are very natural reactions to life. So it's like we have to have conversations around these experiences so that we can be better equipped and that way we can help others. And I call that process right there, making lemonade. Because when you go through something, I do think that it is our social responsibility to share that pain so that others feel less alone and so that others feel like there is a a sense of hope and there is a source of strength. And that is through other people's journey.
0: Wow. Yeah. And um, that, that's a fantastic mindset. You know, it seems like, you know, no matter, you seem like a real problem solver. And like you have these problems in front of you. You're pra- pra- pragmatist. Pragmatist. I forget how to say that. <laughs> Brain's not working. Um, real, real. you know, you see, you see a situation in front of you and you're trying to find the ideal way to handle it because you don't have time you don't have time for this. You don't have time to exactly right to kind of move. You know, you got bills to pay, you know, a kid to take care of and feed and you got to move on and, and rebuild your life after this. And and that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful way to be because and then obviously you're not wasting time, but you're also finding solutions where you need to find solutions. What were some of the things that helped you early on? Like I know we mentioned self-care a little bit but like, what, what are some of those things that maybe gave you energy or, or helped fuel you during, during that time?
1: You know, that's funny. My mom asked me this a couple of weeks ago. She said, what do you think was the very first thing that you did to start this journey of healing? And remember, I was in a fog. So I'm like, I don't know. I made sure I took a shower.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I will say that very, very early on, um, in those times where I felt nothing but complete pain. I mean, I was consumed with pain and grief. The, the one thing that I did was just to take it one breath at a time. I didn't overextend myself or set unrealistic expectations of how I needed to show up for others other than my son. Um, and I gave myself grace to be in that place. Um, I, I would sometimes say, oh, I'm going to be there, or I'll do that, or I'll show up, and then I would cancel at the last minute, and I felt horrible because, you know, the, the first version of Karen, I like to say I'm Karen 2.0 now because <laughs> I've learned yeah. so much and grown so much, but yeah. the first version of Karen was very much a people pleaser. And to, you know, to the point where I would overextend myself. And when I found myself in that place of grief, I was like, well, I, I can't do that. Like, I literally can't pick myself up off the ground right now. And if you're my friend, you're going to understand that. And and that was, I think, I think that was um, the starting point because we don't know how grief is going to change us. And we have to give ourselves grace as we're navigating the early days. So that was the first thing. But then the first, like, real habit that I established was my mindset, was controlling my mindset and, and um, protecting my mind. So I wasn't there when my husband died. So I would imagine what that would look like, what that would feel like. Did he feel pain? Did he see it coming? You know, how did the people who were at the gym feel like, you know, I know a lot of them experienced some trauma and had to go through specific therapy because they, you know, witnessed this. And so I had to eliminate the negative thoughts, because they would make me feel physically sick, or they would make me feel tired. And so I couldn't be fully present for my son. So as I started to notice that my mind was creating this physical pain, I started to think, okay, well, what do I do with these thoughts then? And that's when, you know, I, I started doing things early on that now as I'm reading and learning, I'm like, oh, there's a thing for that. It's called something, you know, but for me, I would just recognize when I was in a negative thought cycle and I would stop that thought and then I would shift to something else. And I actually created a a technique called stop and shift because stop stands for silence thoughts on purpose and shift stands for see hope, see intentions, see facts, and see new thoughts. Now, I just came up with that maybe eight months ago, but I was living it five years ago. And, And so when I was living it, I was just, I was controlling my mind because I saw that my mind was controlling me and I would do things like I was, wasn't listening, listening to specific music. You know, if it didn't make me feel good, I was turning it off. I didn't watch scary movies. I didn't watch the news. Like I would eliminate anything that was feeding negativity in my life or pain or more sorrow or even uncertainty, I would kick that out and I was starting to bring in things that were fueling me with positive messages, with encouragement, with hope, you know, whether it was through like sermons and and songs or whether it was a good book or like just being around somebody who was encouraging. So I was really swapping out all of the negativity for positivity, even though I wasn't feeling it, I knew that that was going to be fertile ground for other good things to grow
0: that's that's a that's a really amazing thing because you know you know the other side we all heard about the other side and we see people in our lives who kind of live the other way and it's really easy to let to let it slide and get a, get away from you and mm-hmm. I think doing what you're doing is is and and you're learning through experience you know absorbing that exactly. which is just one of the best ways to learn and then later you can theorize it and put it into words but at the end of the day you're you're living these practices and then moving forward with that, you know, taking control of your life, taking control of your thoughts is a simple thing, but a hard thing. You know, we go through life and, you know, sometimes we wake up and we look in the mirror and we're like, oh, I hate this person I see. And, then you know, that sets a tone for your day and things can happen. And, and at the end of the day, you know, your whole day becomes kind of just negative whirlwind. And, and you know, there's a lot of people and, you know, that, that can let that affect them. And then their life takes that turn and and you know it starts affecting every part of your life. But you recognize that early and you said, you know, I have to manage these things because I have to keep moving forward. You know, and, and that's a beautiful thing. That's a very uh that's a courageous thing. And again, it ties back to the resilience and, and and the mindset that you have, very strong mindset. And I think like going back to what you went through and and, and the, the trauma around that. Uh man yeah, I could definitely see you know times where you're in the news is going to you know <laughs> that's already a problem but like the news and 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 what's going on there and you do what you need to do which is beautiful I love that you know you're just doing what you need to do to keep you moving forward
1: Thank you and I will say this though we all have those negative thoughts and they come in constantly I still have negative thoughts on a daily basis like it's it is a the battlefield is in the mind, right? So we will often find ourselves living in the past or anxious about the future. And that's what robs us of our joy. And that's what I noticed. I was in the past thinking about what had happened, you know, things that we didn't get to do, things that we, and then I was thinking about the future. Well, can I survive? How am I gonna do this? Will Caleb be okay? What if he has questions? I mean, we just find, and that's a, again, it's, it's an everyday thing for all of us. We all have that voice in our heads, but like you said, We have to practice uh, changing our mind. And there is like, it's the same thing as working out. The more that you do something, the stronger those muscles get. Your mind is another muscle. The more that you practice this, the stronger you get. You're never going to stop negative thoughts from coming in. But you can control if they're controlling you or not. And the more you practice that, then the less intense those thoughts will be or the faster you will turn from them. And I think that's what's helped me where I am today is because I still get crippled by thoughts. And I still have funky days or funky weeks, and I'm just like out of it, right? But I have the tools in my belt to know that I'm not going to let this control me. I can, I I call it a a riptide when you're feeling overwhelmed by those emotions. If you just roll with the riptide, eventually you will come out. But if you're constantly fighting it, it's going to be a struggle. And those are the kind of conversations that we need to have because we can strengthen these muscles like our mind so that we're not feeling controlled or paralyzed by negative thoughts.
0: Absolutely. And that's a that's a great point you brought up. And I was thinking about this, um, you know, in that Richard was involved in CrossFit and CrossFit is a my perspective on my humble perspective is that it's a it's a sport or endeavor that like kind of like I know I know they say regular people can do it. But I think like athletes, it's more meant for kind of athletic people already doing it. Um, because it's so intense and I respect it a lot. And it's one of those things that, you know, you have to push yourself, you have to drive yourself and kind of do it, you know, all the time. Did you take some, Did you learn some things from Richard and, and, you know, kind of what he was doing and incorporate them into, into healing essentially, because, you know, you might not be, you know, that's strengthening the body, but it's also, you know, CrossFit also requires, you know, a lot of mental fortitude.
1: Mm-hmm. I, um, So here's the thing. Our box was very, very, very different because, I mean, we had a woman who was like 83 years old in there, and he would always, although he was under the CrossFit umbrella, he was not about creating these, like, superhuman athletes. He was about meeting, and now that you're asking me this, (laughs) it's coming together, he was about meeting people where they are and helping them be the best version of themselves. So he had a lot older people than most, I mean, than any of the CrossFits in this area, Our box had a lot of older people in it who wanted to just get fit. They wanted to lose weight. So he wasn't doing like the typical strength and conditioning stuff. He would incorporate, he had just this brilliant mind where he would incorporate other versions of um, physical exercise and movement that would help them to achieve those goals. So now that I explain it that way, I definitely feel like I've learned and I'm tracking with my husband because Where I am on this journey of soul care, it's about meeting you where you are and giving you the tools that you need to be the best version of yourself, which are going to look very different than the person next to you. And that's the thing. You know, we would have a wad, what they call a workout of the day on the board, but he would have different versions. He would have three different versions of it. I mean, this was, his mind was so crazy that he could do this. He would scale it for the different people based on where they were. And, and that's also what I do, which I didn't put it together until we're talking right now. I do the same thing when I'm coaching folks, right? It's like, where are you? I will meet you there. Okay, this is the first stage. Yes, this is what we'll work through. Oh, okay, you're a little further along. Let me give you these tools. But I do think that there are similarities in how we are making our footprint in the world because it is about helping people, whether it's physically or emotionally and spiritually and mentally, just be the best person that they want to be not who society wants or not what the 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 perfect image looks no it's you because everybody is so unique and our journey is our own
0: yeah that actually might be more difficult because he's taking people from all walks of life and and maybe older people who don't necessarily have a background in working out like it might be it probably easier with people who are athletes or have a background in working out because you don't have to push them as much mentally because they kind of have something built in already that's taken them thus far. But if you're taking mm-hmm. like you know, a seven-year-old, eight-year-old person who maybe hasn't worked out a ton, now you have to try to build the mental side. Like, you know, the physical, you know, that'll come. But like, right. you know, so that seemed like that was even more of a challenge. But like, I love that idea. I love that. Like, it, it really relates a lot because again, when you're instructing people um, with different levels you know, you have to be attentive. You have to kind of go in and look at each individual and say, what can they do? And then how can I bring, as a coach, bring the best out of them? That's phenomenal yeah, yeah. that you incorporate that.
1: And you'll hear, like, um, there was a, a Facebook Live that Robin Roberts did after um, my interview. And she was talking to some of the guys from the box, right? And so she was asking them about Rich. And he, like, everybody says the same thing. He was just such an encourager. Like he would be, he's a guy who is cheering you on, even if you're laying down, like I can't get up. He's like, yeah, you can. And I'm right here next to you. Like we got this. I'll finish the workout with you. Like he's just so that person where he is in the trenches with you. And, 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 And letting you know that wherever you are right now is okay, but you can get better. And I got your back. Like, and so again, like you're making me get teary-eyed, but I'm thinking like the way that people saw him is exactly how I feel like I'm showing up in life. And it just resonates so much.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that, 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 that really makes sense. You know, that especially these clients, the people that are on his team that, that, you know, that he worked for, they, saw that, and and they got, they saw improvement and joy in their life, because again, they got to see themselves um, progress, you know, a, a person working out for exactly. the first time, they're, they're under, they're in that uh, area, and then, you know, through Richard's help, they get to see this, and feel yeah. good about themselves, and you know, what type of impact that him and, and his colleagues have had yeah. on that individual's life, and now here you are, kind of doing the same thing. I mean, you know, it was a good thing you guys were together. You're you're kind of the same, like (laughs) you're kind of doing the same thing. And, and how does that feel when you get to help people, when you get to kind of add something to their life that they never had before?
1: I feel like I, well, because we don't have quote unquote closure, I'm using air quotes over here um, because we don't know that person. I feel like by me living this way, his death isn't in vain. And that I am taking the love that I have for him and the admiration that I have for how he was living his life. And I'm just spreading it all around to other people. And so it really makes me feel like it's just, yeah, his death isn't in vain because it has, I I worried about, Oh my gosh, I'm talking about my husband's death and this seems, you know, as part of my my journey and and what I, and part of my story and building my business. Um, But It's not that I'm talking about his death. It's that I'm talking about my healing journey, right? And my healing journey has come out of this place of just complete despair. And I think he, I know that he would be proud of me. I know that he would be proud that I'm just using this experience, even though it came out of something that was incredibly painful, to help change others' lives and to lead them on a path of just wholeness, you know, living with a whole heart and feeling good about themselves, feeling like I can do this because that's what people would feel like after they did his ridiculous workouts. <laughs> They'd feel like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I got through that. I can do this. And I want them to feel the same way once they get through their own hardship and seeing and and getting tapped into some of the resources that I put out there in the world.
2: Yeah, I think it's amazing what you do, what, you're, what you are doing for people. There is, I, I, I don't know, I think I watch one of your talks and you also do stuff for companies too. And like to build a more compassionate community within the, the organization. What led you towards that? And how does have you seen things or heard stories of when people are grieving of the maybe horror stories of the work environment?
1: Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. So the journey over the last five years for me um, has been from I want to cure grief in the workplace <laughs> by teaching leaders how to manage it. Um, to I'm helping individuals step into their whole self, right? And so when I started off in the corporate space very heavily, I would hear stories from grievers, and I'm honestly disgusted at the norm in our country. Um, It is just, and other places in the world, they really do do it much better than the United States. Um, For one, we have we don't have a regulated uh, bereavement policy. Um, There's only one state that mandates uh, that employers have a bereavement policy. Other than that, it's just like you have to hope that. Now, it's standard that most employers do, but you have to hope that your boss or that your employer will give it to you or that they will extend it because the average bereavement time is three to five days, which is crazy. You can't even you can't even plan a funeral during that time. Like it is unbelievable that they will, they will get your spouse dies. You have three days off to grieve. Really? <laughs> like it's crazy. Now I'm not saying you have to give a year off, but I am saying that we have to come from a place of compassion and understanding. And so I would also hear how not only would these grievers say, okay, only, I was only given three days or I was only given five days, but then once they get back to the workplace, because and a lot of people don't know this, when you lose somebody close to you, a spouse or immediate family member, there's an immediate chemical deficiency in your brain. So you lose things like focus, you can't remember a lot. I mean, it's just, it's a mess, right? And because of that, you're not functioning at your fullest, um, uh, at, your, at your fullest ability, productivity. And so if there were mistakes that were being made, or, or even if they just weren't their chipper self, I mean, I was told this, we need you to get back to your old self. Like there's just this Lack of empathy, that something traumatizing has happened to this person, and I have heard of people who were let go they were terminated very shortly after they lost their spouse, or that they were um, uh, that they were reprimanded. Um, on the job for not being, you know, themselves or not being chipper or not, whatever. I mean, it's just, it is unbelievable, the lack of empathy and compassion for people who have just experienced a major loss. On the other side, there are some people who do it really well, right? Like, for example, my boss, although the environment wasn't awesome, my boss particularly was phenomenal, But he admitted, he said, the only reason I know how to respond to you right now and to think about what flexibility you need, even in your workload, is because I had a near-death experience with my wife. She was in a car accident, and I actually came, I drove up behind her and found her on the ground, so I can imagine, like, what that looks like, right? So, but it was only because he had experienced that. So, I just think, in general, that we could do much better as employers, helping employees who are going through something and keeping this in mind that grief is not always tied to a death. What if somebody found out that their spouse has cancer or that their child is sick or that they have cancer, right? We have to be conscious of those things. And I think that just, again, overall, we could do much better of remembering that in business, in, you know, in organizations that we have people who are driving this business and this organization and those people, the, those humans, they need to be treated with care.
0: That's a beautiful point, and I I've harped on this before. I I, it really like it hits me home because like you know I spent the last seven eight years working for like, in operations for a lot of big companies, and you know for the most part most of them don't do it well. Like it's just yeah. like it, it's it's the same in Canada. You know we get three to five days whatever, and it's just sad because it seems like we've we've made it a very sterile environment, whereas we try to separate you know maybe not on paper but at the end of the day that's culturally that's what happens is they try to separate kind of like your work life from your home life but you can't there is no separation because like the end of the day you're spending you know eight nine eight hours minimum but like you're spending a ton of time at work more and and it's crazy when you really think about it more so than you spend with your spouse and kids probably and so that's life as well that is life and and why is that such a you know can't touch it you know p c type of policy protocol environment and and I was always always found that frustrating, like I've been in companies where you know the good ones will maybe send flowers to um you know hmm. to your house if if your you know spouse has died or whatever if your family members died and even then even in those situations they have policy okay, well immediate family, yeah, maybe not you know mm-hmm. someone outside of that, but I've been in companies that don't do it. That don't send a card, don't send flowers. And it's just like, are you kidding me? Like this person comes in here every day, works with us. We know this person. This is Frank Uh or whatever. And you can't even like, you know, so like I was in an environment where, you know, I was the supervisor and and all the guys on the floor and we bought a card together. We bought flowers together because the company wasn't doing it, signed it and then gave it to the person. And it's just like, where's the heart? You know, and I okay. know that, like again, it's you know you got to have these policies, procedures to make it work and all that. But at the end of the day, profit—you can't think of it like that. Because like I've been, I've been in charge of like allocating vacation days and scheduling people. Where I know we can make it work as a company. If this person needs to be off for ten days, we can all make it work. You know, the uh-huh. company's not going anywhere. Yet that's not the case, and and I—it's sad. But like you know, again, uh, to the to the, the good side is that I find the more newer and progressive companies are looking at that a lot more. And they are probably taking uh, advice from people like you on how to structure their organizations and how to do things the right way, uh, because they probably saw that it's not working.
1: Well, you know, I think we've just operated with that old adage, leave your personal stuff at the door for way too long. And we're not robots, we can't turn it off. I remember one time sitting at my desk and I was writing an email and I could not think of the words and I just started crying. I was crying because I felt stupid and I was being hard on myself. And I was like, why can't I think of these words? Another time I started crying because I picked up my phone out of habit to text Richard and ask him what he wanted for dinner. And then it hit me, oh my gosh, I can't text him. And I'm like crying, right? So we can't shut down our personal life when we walk through those doors to be present at work. And Richard Branson said it best. He said, when you take care of your people, your people will take care of your business. There are a lot of reasons why uh, leaders and employers in general are paralyzed by fear of showing up for their people. You know, they think it does take away from their productivity. It it will, um, people will abuse their kindness or all this crap, right? And so I'm like, it's not okay for us to put work before people because it's the people that help your company to be productive and successful, and so I think what we need is just a little better framework of how to employ uh, compassion empathy in the workplace and that 's what I created so I did create um, you know a framework for how to manage grief, but it, if we back it up one one more notch when we practice compassion and empathy on a day-to-day basis, that's mastery preparation for the time of crisis. If on a day-to-day basis, we are using empathy in our conversations, in our board meetings, in our interactions in the hallway, then we're creating this connection with other people. That way, when they do go through something, We know how to be there for them, and we're not feeling paralyzed by fear because we don't know how to show up for them. Because let's think about it. We practice compassion and empathy with our friends and family, right? We just need permission to do it at work. You know, how we're listening to one another, how we're talking to one another, how we're inviting others into the conversation. And it does not take a lot to ask somebody, how are you doing? Is everything okay? I'm here for you if you need anything. You know, like it's just, it's so simple, but I think we just need permission. And I think we need to give a little bit of a framework so that way people know how to navigate this these new waters of yes being more people friendly at work if you will mm.
0: yeah it's it look that's a that 's a something that i I gravitated towards early in my career in ops, but like the question is how do you how do you get those guys how do you get those guys at the top, the men and women at the top to kind of listen to it because it seems like again they don 't there's a there's a really famous quote I really forget who said it, but it, they said if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And mm-hmm. so when it comes down to your metrics board, you know it's all kind of wrapped into whether it's called morale or culture, and that's where they kind of put these things. And even those, mm-hmm. I've been in so many companies that, that they say that's important, but not as important as the four metrics that come before it. So like, how yeah. do you how do you get them to really turn on to this
1: well we have to keep in mind that right now for the most part the companies and that you're saying how do we get to that c-suite for them to see it they're operating from this old perspective right so the only way that they're going to adopt a new train of thinking or way of thinking is if they see that it's worked for others. And there are enough companies out there who are doing it right, who have the success that prove when you take care of your people, your people take care of your business. We have companies like HubSpot, um, Facebook, Google, and Google even did a um, – a study, and there's a lot of research that supports this as well, but Google did a study called Project Aristotle, and they were in search of what is the differentiating factor between our high-performing teams and everyone else, and now they weren't looking for something that was very people-specific. They just wanted to know what was the difference so that we can make sure that everybody gets on board, and you know what they found? It was empathy. Mm -hmm. They found that the high-performing teams, the most successful teams in Google, had empathy there. They were able to talk about their personal life, if they had gone through something, how their day was. They spent time before each meeting, just like connecting with each other. I mean, it was just simple things. So I do think for us to start to shift that train of thinking across the board, the people who are doing it right, the more they put out what they're doing, it makes it um, more manageable and palatable for those who are stuck in their ways.
0: Yeah, you know, that's, that's a great answer. I think that is the probably the best way to kind of convey that message. Because again, if, if people haven't seen it done before, then they're hesitant to kind of do something like that. And as well, like, you know, Facebook is able to show and all these successful companies are able to show that look, we've reached the more, you know, this impacts what you guys hold very valuable, which is profits you know, it does, eventually there, there's a really strong link, link in my opinion. And, you know, again, like that, that's great that, you you know, you kind of need those things to kind of show them.
1: Mm -hmm. And there's one sentence that I say in all of my workshops to, to really just get that light bulb to go off. And it's, if you think about it this way, employees who are enthusiastic, or uh, sorry, employees who feel cared for are more enthusiastic about work, if you're enthusiastic about what you're doing, your work environment and, and, and your people and all that, then what happens? Your productivity goes up. <laughs> like, so if you take care of your people, they're more enthusiastic about what they're doing in your organization.
2: Yeah, no, it's so true. And I think it's, it's a great, great thing to be able to talk about and to share because there are people who are going through that, and they just want the companies to change. But you yeah, right; there's there's so much on their shoulders that they're trying they're trying to learn because they were taught a different way. And you're just trying to change the people, and hopefully, as these new generations start managing these companies, they can start taking some of these tools to them to help with the empathy of their of their cult of their organizations and being able to be a better leader for those uh, in times of need. So I think it's great what you're doing. And you know, keep it up because yeah, we need more more fighters out there to sort of talk to people about the culture within an organization, not just the the workers itself, but the actual the culture. Because that I said like it's not just grief, but everything else. And I think, you know, like we want to be cared for, we want to be loved and appreciated in a company. And there's times that really show that. And that's you know, times of grief is one of those big moments where Um, even I said like a card of flowers is enough to people, for people to say, Oh, you know, I went through this, you know, I remember when I, my father died and I was a student at Brock university. I was also TAing, at the time there and they gave me, um, a card and all the other TAs signed it. They also gave me leave paid leave. And they're like, you don't have to do your seminars this week or next week. Just, you know, let us know when you can come back you know, it's Okay. And it's like, wow, you know, you guys really care about you know me as an individual. And, then, and when um, I was also there was an exam that was going to happen, and my one of my teachers said, you know, like I know you just you know suffered a loss, and you don't need to do this if you don't want to. We can postpone it for another another time. And like those are the people I remember most about my time at Brock. Like those people who cared about me and didn't require me to do things beyond my need. And I think you know I had a lot of professors. Those are the, probably the two people I, I know most. And so, like, as we go forward, it's like, yeah, like, we need to do this. But also in schools, I know there's a lot of people in universities, too, who they'll suffer loss, but they don't tell their teacher or they don't tell their prof because they're just afraid that it it won't matter. And I think we need we need people to care. We need people to care again. And we need people not to question if they're going to care. It's like it should just be a common thing. And what you're doing is great. I love it. So I can't wait to sort of hear more about that. If we have more time, it would probably Dive into this even more. But we don't, (laughs) (laughs) we got to get to the grief dreams aspect of the show. (laughs) And so, um, (laughs) have you ever had a dream of your husband after he died?
1: I wanted a dream so bad. And so, I haven't had a dream. I I think I expected to have a dream that he would say, I'm okay, or I can Mm -hmm. see his face. And we're just having a, a moment of closure together because I didn't get that with him. And so, the dreams that I've had have been very – they've been, like, left open-ended. So I'll be on the phone with him, and I'm like, when are you coming home? Or, you know, he's out running errands, or he's on a trip or something. I'm like, okay, but you were supposed to be back already. Or I remember one very vivid dream – where I was somewhere, like, it was almost like I was in, we'll say, a teacher's lounge, and I'm, like, eating pizza or something. And somebody says to me, they're like, oh, you know Richard is here, right? And I'm like, wait, what? I I didn't even know that. So I walk out the teacher's lounge to this area where you can, like, check in, and I realize, well, I'm kind of in a facility where he would be there, um, and I don't even know why he'd be there, but I had to check in with somebody in order to see him. And so I went up to the desk, and the lady said, Oh, sure, you just fill out this paperwork. So it felt like never ending paperwork, right? And I take it up there, so okay, we'll get to you in a few minutes. So I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. And then she calls me back up maybe two or three times. And then somebody says, When I go to sit back down again, they say, Well, aren't you his wife? You don't need to do any of that paperwork. So I'm like, Wait, what? So I'm frustrated that I've wasted all this time because in my heart, I knew that I hadn't seen him in a long time. But in my mind, I'm like, well, if I'm his wife, then why can't I just see him right now? And then when this person says that, I go back up to the lady and she says, oh, sure, you can see him one second. And then somebody tells me outside that my car is being towed because it was parked somewhere. And so then I have to leave and I wake up. So it's always like something where I'm not able to get to him or he's not getting home or, you know, something like that. And at it's so frustrating. I'm like, I just want to see him and get a hug and just know that everything's okay.
2: <laughs> and so what so when you wake up, um, how does that that feel? like, and, and how do you understand those dreams?
1: Well, I used to think maybe I'm not having a dream where he's so real and where I'm like, you know, giving him a hug and a kiss and all that because if I wake up, it would hurt too bad that he's not there. That's what I used to say to myself. But you know what? Even those dreams where I didn't get to see him, that longing to see him and that hope that I'm about to see him and then not being able to is just as bad. I just feel so um, distant. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm smacked back into reality and it takes me a moment. Like it just, I get hit with that initial feeling of pain that I felt on that first day and it takes me a little bit to get up.
2: Wow, no, that, those are that's that's rough and and sad to hear you ha- you're having these dreams that we can definitely see the longing to want to see him again, and you know the that's just like your life and there's as much as you're joyful and and you have so much hope moving forward. There is a party that want to see him again. You know that's just Absolutely. that's just the human aspect of you. Right? <laughs> it's just mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and so wow, it's uh that's rough. You know? But hopefully, you know, one day you do get a chance to actually be able to see them and hug them and to have that communication that talk with them that you want to have um yep, but you, i
1: believe it <laughs> yeah
2: well like just with my research it should happen one day i can't say you know like mm-hmm. most people have like as uh, you know widows and widowers whatever like 86 percent within the first year had one so um mm-hmm. what that tells me is that you know one day you will have one of these experiences um as long as that's something that you know you actually do want to have and you understand that the person's actually dead. So those are two things that you do want, it seems. So you have all the right criteria. As long as you, uh, have, um, you continue to dream frequently, I can't see um, in the next couple of years you don't have one of those experiences. So fingers crossed, right? Fingers crossed.
1: Well, I will say that early on, I said, like the night that he died, I was looking up and I was like, hey, God, here's the thing. How dare you do this for somebody who loved you so much, changed their life? So I said, if you can give me an answer and let me know that heaven is real, then okay. Like I'll, I'll be okay with where I am. And there were some incredible supernatural things that gave me that confirmation so I've had to let go because I really 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 wanted that dream and if I if I do have it you'll be the first person I call (laughs) but I but I have let that go because my faith just tells me that no matter what happens right here that we will be together again you know for eternal life so I'm looking forward to that more than the dream to be honest
2: (laughs) (laughs) but a dream would be pretty sweet
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it would be sweet. It would be sweet. I'll be back on the show to tell you all about it. <laughs>
2: Excellent. That's amazing. And then, but you said, you actually have not mentioned you've had a grief dream of someone else. Who was that?
1: Yeah, so my, um, my uncle, who's the oldest on my dad's side, um, passed away suddenly last Valentine's Day, actually. He died in his sleep. And it was really, 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 really hard for the family because it was just so out of nowhere. And um, you know, his health was okay, you know, from from what we knew. And so maybe a week or two after he died, um I had this dream that I was in his kitchen with my aunt. And actually, I take that back. It was longer than that because it was after his uh it was after his celebration of life. So, anyhow, the point is I'm in the kitchen and I'm with my aunt and she and I are talking. And then he walks in, but she doesn't see him. And so he looks younger, and I can see exactly how he was when he was, like, 25, 27. I mean, just looking sharp and dapper, my Uncle Dale. And uh, so he's sitting there, and he's watching her while she's talking. And, you know, she's just talking to me about what she did early on, this craziness. of like being a widow suddenly. And as she is talking, we sit down at the table, and he says, tell her I'm okay. Let her know that I'm okay. And so I said, okay. And so I just leaned in and I hugged her. And then he came over and he hugged, like put his arm around both of us. So I woke up and I mean, when I tell you this dream was so vivid, I was living it. So I waited a couple of days because I was like, I don't know if I should tell her this. Like, I don't know if it's going to be okay. She's going to, and so then I finally called her and I told her my dream and um, she said, Karen, every single night I asked him, just let me know that you're okay. And she said, and this was my answer. So it's all good to be able to share that with her because I thought I was crazy and I also wasn't sure how she would respond. Um, but she said she had been asking to just know that he was okay. And those were his exact words to me. Tell her I'm okay. Let her know I'm okay.
2: Wow, that's crazy. That's why like. I've actually heard about this a lot this week, which is very interesting about mm. people getting dreams for someone else. And mm. so, what's it like to be the answer to someone's
0: prayer?
1: Um, very emotional, especially because this is my uncle who I love so much. He was like a second dad. I mean, he was just the rock. And so, um, I know I feel two things. I feel one, um, her pain, right? Because I, 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 I'm that person. And so my heart bleeds for her um, that she wants this answer and this confirmation because I understand that. And then I feel also very grateful that she was able to have some sort of answer. And I don't know, you know, if it really helped to make an impact on her healing journey or, you know, change her thoughts about how he died in his sleep or anything. You know, I'm not really sure. Um, But I do know that when I said that to her, that something some weight was lifted off her shoulders. Some peace, you know, came into her heart. And I was just really happy to be able to give that to her because it was so real um, for me. And I know that it was just as real for her.
2: Wow, it's so beautiful. I love hearing those dreams and for dreams to be able to take weights off of people's shoulders because grief is hard enough with all the stuff Mm -hmm. to have to deal with. And it's nice to get some respite and to get some hope. That's really what it gave her, right? Gave her a sense of hope that, you know, what she believes is true, and that she's still loved. And so I think, you know, like, those are two really powerful variables for help someone, I think, move forward in this this crazy life that we live in. So uh, as we wrap up the show, our last question is, if you could have a dream of Richard tonight, what would that dream look like?
1: It would just be him again, letting me know that he's okay and that, um, and I think that that's it. Just that he's okay. That I know he's still with us because there's all these little things that happen where I'm like, wow, that was creepy. (laughs) Um, So I know that I'm always feeling, you know, his presence. But I think I would love to just see his face one more time.
2: That's interesting. Yeah. What is it about the face? Is it his stubble? Did he have a beard going on? Like what what's going on with his face?
1: <laughs> All of that, right? Um, yeah, I've actually walked myself through that again. I had really um, terrible imagery of how he died and he was shot in the head. And so everything that I have imagined is ingrained in my head more than the way that we would look at each other, you know, because I mean, people would say we would look at you and just see you're in love. And so it took me also a long time to look at videos and pictures of him. And then when I did, I would just like stare at his handsome face and uh, get lost in it. And I feel uh, because we didn't have that closure, you know, when I picked up the kids, I was on the run. Like we didn't get like a hug, a kiss, and all of that that we normally would do It was a very like rushed afternoon. And so I feel like I just need that space. To just like stare into him and just look at him and just like let that be my last um vivid imagery
2: yeah no i think that would be beautiful and what is it about his eyes there's something about his eyes that uh you?
1: it was just that he was so dang handsome <laughs> <laughs> but you but he was also um he loved really 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 hard and um people would say to me that they would watch him looking at me from across the room. They were like, it's just so cute. i like, as soon as you walk in, he's like staring at you. When you're working out, he's looking at you. He's always looking for you. And it just felt like um, we were made for each other. You know, we were truly, truly made for each other. And um, and he did have, this is something I look at often. He would have a beard. It doesn't grow out to a full beard. It'd be a stubble beard. And he would, <laughs> whenever he had like little ingrown. That were like um, folded over. Then he would let me get those out with tweezers, and we would just sit there watching Big Bang Theory. Like, and I'm just like pulling them out, And so he's like, "How no, can you get those?" It's just little things like that. That when I do think about him, I'm remembering all of those little details. You know, the scar that he had, the ingrowths, any of that. And so I just want to see all of that again.
2: Wow, wow that's beautiful. Like, I don't think anyone's ever said <laughs> specifically the face. I'm guessing you want him to have a body. What do you want his body to be wearing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> nothing? Um, <laughs> nothing.
2: all right that's where we wrap the, up the show
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know there's this picture and um i'm sure you'll see it somewhere but there's this picture of rich where he was on top of the um the rig he was doing like a i don't even know what they're called anymore but he was like pushing himself up and people would see how his body was so re- i'm not even lying ridiculously chiseled it was unfair and they would say, oh, my gosh, he's, like, in the best version of himself. But this guy would come home and eat, like, a half a pint of ice cream. Like, it's so funny. But he worked out a lot. And so there was just something unique about his body that um, he was also perfectly proportioned, which is really weird. But all of that together, it was just, like, he was rich, you know? Everything about him was uniquely tailored to him in some weird, perfect way. <laughs> wow.
2: Wow, that's a beautiful dream.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's cool. That's cool to sort of play with that imagery. Um... And yeah, it's the first time someone's ever said they wanted uh, their uh, their partner naked. So that's uh, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's great. I
1: do love basketball. I do love basketball shorts on. So I should say shirtless, not PG. <laughs> that's what I should have said. It's PG, <laughs> sorry, PG. <laughs> PG, PG, PG. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it
2: is actually well, funny story. I went to I was doing a talk and I asked a you know people like, "What kind of dreams have you had?" And This one like really sweet old lady said, you know, like. have this dream of my husband and and you know he's always walking around my house i said okay cool he's like but the weird thing is that he's always naked why why?" (laughs) (laughs) what what does that mean (laughs) i was like was that a memory is that like common he's like no you'd never do that (laughs) so it's just funny
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is funny because I see so many things that my son does, like his dad, and he doesn't have a memory of his dad. He just remembers the things that I've told him. But there are things that he does where I'm like, are you sure that you don't remember this? And one of the things is my husband would often walk around in just basketball shorts or just his boxer briefs, right? And so, again, no big deal. Like, it's just how you enjoy your house, right? But. This my son does the exact same thing. He'll get out of the shower and just be hanging out in his cow, walking around like I'm like, dude, are you kidding put something on? What are you he's like, what? I'm I'm just so it's just so funny to see them do some of the same things and walking around without a shirt is definitely one of them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well that's great. You can see him in your son. You know, like that's a the totally. beautiful the beautiful moment that your son I think gives you too. It's like you don't have to look far for signs that you know your yeah. your husband's around. Because he's, you know, within, yeah. within your son in many, to say, in many forms. And, and the way he walks around, struts, and soon <laughs> the way he shapes his body and gets the abs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: exactly, exactly.
2: So this has been a, such a great conversation. I really love the, like, just love what you represent uh, to the world. And I love what you're trying to do to help people as they move through some of the struggles in their life and also corporations and stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad we had this conversation. Where can people find you again? Do you have all your social media handles, all that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can always find any resources, free resources, my online coaching program, all of that on karenmilsap.com, Millsap with two L's. And you can also find me karen.milsap on Instagram or on Facebook or LinkedIn. Anytime you look karenmilsap with two L's, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty sure the SEO is good enough to, <laughs> to lead you to, uh, to one of those platforms
0: awesome stuff uh it was a real joy to talk to you today karen like josh said earlier you do have a joy in your voice and then clearly you've you know you've got this power within you and and again like uh we could talk for another hour because there's so many interesting things and thoughts that you have uh but we got to wrap up so i want to just again thank you again for coming on and uh yeah it was a real uh, pleasure speaking with you um so people can check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic we added a donation button and there are perks to those who donate uh we, if you have facebook you can join the grief dreams group you can share your dreams or hear more dreams of others uh, we are on twitter and instagram at grief dreams and uh as always we like to wrap up with love and gratitude from us to you